0: I, I just, um, and I'm going to get you to stand, but just uh, one of the areas that has really um, impacted is just a thought taken from the Lord's Prayer, and uh, you know, we, we, we have the term which most of us would know, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be your name, and I just read a definition that has really helped me in a way in approaching uh, God himself, because sometimes you can get language that doesn't really draw you to where you should be. And I just felt that one man defined it in a way that I found actually to be probably more centered on the original meaning than what we would uh, take from the words that we've used, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And he just defined it like this. He said, Our Father, in the air I breathe, I stop and become aware of you. You think about it, in the air I breathe, because heaven is not, the moment we say heaven, in our mind, we think of something distant, but actually heaven is all around us, heaven is all around us, It's the air we breathe, so God is not distant, he's near, he's real, and so in saying, our Father, in the air I breathe, you're near, you're real, you're right here, I stop. I just stop and I become aware of you. So what it's referring to when it says I stop and become aware of you is a name means something. And what does the name of Jesus mean to you? For me, at times it means that he's incredibly loving. At times he's incredibly good. At times he's merciful. At times he's gracious. He comes down. He bends his arm when I need to be picked up. At times... He is a God who just gives into my situation. He gives of grace, which I want to talk about this morning. But when you understand and you just stop and you you reflect, really what it's doing is in your consciousness, you say, our Father, in the air I breathe, just for a moment, I stop and I become aware of you. Now you think how that would change your prayer life. And now I understand what Paul said, that we need to pray constantly, because prayer is not just a whole lot of words. Prayer is actually becoming aware of who Jesus is. It's becoming aware of who God is in your life. And what I want you to do is just stand with me this morning, because I believe today is a day, and I want to speak prophetically in a moment, and something that will change your life, and I believe is going to actually shift something in Wellington. Amen? Amen and i pray that we can just in a way it's not not you and i that's going to do it but we just stop we become aware of him we become aware of his presence we become aware of his anointing we become aware of his grace we become aware of his power we become because today's pentecost sunday we 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 remember it's not in essence but we remember what happened on a significant day in the world where God released his Holy Spirit, not only to be present around us, but to be real inside us, amen? And I just want you to stand with me, just as we we, we just take a moment, and I I invite you to stand, and uh, if you feel happy with it, you don't have to do it, but I just invite you to lift your hands. And just in this moment, in the presence of the Holy Spirit, I want you just to think of those words. You might even like to say them in your heart. Our Father, just in the air I breathe right now, I just stop for a moment and I become aware of you. I become aware of who you are. I become aware of your grace. I become aware of your love. I become aware of your presence. I become aware of what you have not only called me to be, but called me to do. I become aware of you. I become aware of what you want to channel through this group of people, this church. I become aware of you. And right now in the name of Jesus, I just speak even if there are people in this room who just need healing in their physical body. May they be aware of your power to heal. If there are people right now who are struggling and there's a turmoil inside them, it's almost like there's a tug of war struggling internally inside them. Right now, in the name of Jesus, may they just be aware of your name to set them free. May right now, Father, people in this room become aware of your amazing presence. They might not have ever known what it is, but this morning they would know that it only could be you because it somehow feels loving. It feels gracious, it feels kind, it feels good. And in the name of Jesus, I just speak that right now into this environment, into the heart of every human person in here, that your kingdom would come today. Your will be done as it, on earth as it is in heaven. That something of the kingdom of God would be a reality in the frame of our human being. In Jesus' name. And we just thank you for doing that. And we prophetically speak it into existence right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen? Amen, Amen. you got that? I reckon you just think about that. And I, you know, you can read a phrase and you can take it from someone else. But I thought I want to make sure that actually it lines up and it completely lines up. You know, when you look at who God is, what he wants to do. Amen? Take a seat. Amazing to have my brother, Ross, and his wife, Andrea. We grew up together, same naturally. And, uh, <laughs> uh, and uh, worked together, worked on the same farm, worked for my father um, and uh, for a number of years. And then my father very graciously uh, empowered my brother to take over our home farm, and he helped support me to get a farm in um, Tihoro, New Zealand, not far from here, which I put a couple of things on Facebook recently just as we went back, and uh, you know, we, we, we just looked really fondly of, um, you know, the way God established us, and then naturally the call of God came into our life, and we both left what God, uh, our Father had established us on, gave it away, and uh, came into what God had already seen for our lives, and so it's just a real blessing when you look back in history, see what God does, see uh, you know, even the way your father set you up, and always grateful for that, and uh, really blessed, blessed to have them here today. Today I want to just talk about the whole area of grace, because I believe grace is a message that really, in a way, not only defines you as a person, but actually helps to define us as people. And what we need in New Zealand is not just another principle, but we need to know how to cooperate and to work with God in our life. And uh, I speak that not only as an individual, but you need that in your life. You need to know how grace works. One of the scriptures that has always really impacted me is found in the book of Zechariah, which is an Old Testament book, and reading chapter 4, and it just says this, the first verses that you're probably very aware of if you have any, um, you you know this passage of scripture, it um, it talks about two guys, it talks about Zechariah, he's a prophet, and it talks about a man by the name of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel is the builder, he's building a temple, and he's obviously incredibly frustrated. How many get frustrated? Any people get frustrated? Put your hand up if there's moments of frustration. I think there's, there's moments of frustration in life. I actually think there's a moment of frustration in a Wellington. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> um, and some, sometimes, you, you, you know, our vision, our capacity, what we see is bigger than actual what reality is. And we, we get frustrated, and it's really good to read the Bible because there's a lot of other people who have gone through the same journey. So we're not, we're not freaky. We're not different to anybody else. Uh, it just actually happens to be part of the journey of life. And um, so Zerubbabel was standing there. I, I, I think he came out. He, he was just standing. And what had taken place, if you understand the history of it, is they laid the foundation of the temple, a building, but nothing had happened for 16 years. Nothing. It was just completely at a standstill. And so what you have is the foundation, but on the side you have all the building blocks. Wow. They're there and they're not being put into place. If you read another book in the same, uh, so speaking into the same situation, there's another prophet by the name of Haggai, and it gives you an understanding of really what was happening. And what was actually happening is people have got so busy building their own life, their own world, that they forgot the house of God. And that is so easy to do, especially in our Western world, that we can get so caught up in our studies, which are important building our family, our career, our job, everything else, but we forget the house of God. We forget really what God wants to do corporately together in us and through us. And so Zerubbabel's standing there, and there's this sense of frustration in his heart. Come on, God, I knew not only had you called me to do this, I knew that you had empowered me, but somehow something's not connecting, something's not responding, something's not coming together like it should do. And so he's standing there, and God, I think God's pretty gracious. He brings a prophet into a scene. His name is Zechariah. And he, he just speaks these words. He just says to Zerubbabel, he says, Zerubbabel said, it's not by your might. This is good for Pentecost Sunday. Yeah. It's not by your power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. That doesn't mean to say you stand back and you think, okay, I'll just stand back and do nothing then. (laughs) But what he's saying is it's actually in cooperation with my Holy Spirit that this will actually take place. And then he uses these terms, he says, but before Zerubbabel, uh, no, it goes on, sorry, it says, says the Lord of hosts, who are you, O great mountain? So he's speaking to all these building stones. It's almost like you can look at Wellington you can think, why aren't they in the church? They're living stones. They're out there. They're not connected. I was on the plane coming down, and I got so mad when I saw it. I don't, you know, does anyone else got mad? I, because I was in 2B on the plane. And, and I, you know, I fly a lot. 2B is in the middle. I have preference seating. I was, I should be either 2C or 2A but I was 2B, and I, I felt, oh, man, who, they don't know how much I fly. <laughs> and, and so I got into 2B, and there was a guy on my side and a guy, the lady here, and she sat down, and I got talking to her, and I found out she'd uh, written a doctorate on religious history in New Zealand. So I thought, oh, here's a good go. <laughs> and so we had an amazing conversation you know, as we started to just explore. And without imposing the gospel, just drawing her to the point where I think she went away with a little sense. Oh, I think I need to become aware of who this religious study I've been doing was all about. And so I gave her a couple of books she could read. And, uh, and, and so in the middle of it, you, you, you've got all this. But, but a living stone stone they're out there. How do we get them into the house of God? it's like come on we, we, we've got to somehow know it's not by our might it's not by our power but here are all these all these potentials that are they're in your university they're in your neighborhood and, and they're not potentials because we just want them in equippers. Wellington, they are potentials because we believe the message of grace, the message of salvation, is the most profound message to change your humanity. That's what it's really all about. And so I was sitting there and I think, you know, my heart was not driven by, by trying to compel her, but it was actually driven by compassion. Because only if she could discover this Jesus who can become incredibly real, something would happen. And it just says, you shall say, uh, uh, Sorry, who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel you shall become a plain, and you shall bring forth the capstones with shouts of grace, grace to it. And those words have always captured me because, in one way, in my simplicity, I thought, wow, it's easy. I've got a loud voice, all I have to do is shout. But actually, the shout is more an acknowledgement of what God has done. It's not a shout, I just stand back and ignore the process. But actually, the shout is more about acknowledging that it's the grace of God that will help to build the house of God. It's not not our human strength. It is not your ability. And in this room, there's amazing skill. I think we could do incredible things in our natural But really, what it's saying is, this is not about natural. This is not about your ability. It's really about your availability, even though God uses your ability. But really, what he wants is a people who will acknowledge just something of the wonder of his grace. Because grace is really what makes you the person that God has destined you to be. And I want to talk about it in probably four areas. The grace of God is the grace that comes to us in the day that we gave our heart to Jesus. And that is an incredible grace. None of you and I deserved it. You and I don't, you you don't, you did not choose to follow Jesus out of your own ability or intellect. It was not a process. It was simply God revealed himself to you. He made himself known. And he came into our broken humanity and he revealed the wonder of his grace to extend his hand right into our very broken humanity and save us. And that's where we get the old hymn. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I was, once was lost, but now I'm found. Written by John Newton, who was a, was a slave trader, a murderer. He, he was a person who, who in many ways should have been judged for the way he treated humanity. But there came a point in his life where grace was made known to him. He was confronted with the reality of who Jesus is and he stood and he responded in his heart in the latter part of his life Somehow God was gracious and reached down to his brokenness and lifted him up to the point that he could pen amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I was confronted with something like it because I was involved in a funeral many years ago in Hastings and I was asked to officiate at it. And I remember going because the man, I knew the kids and the daughter had been sexually abused by the father. The boys had been, been brutally beaten. When I got to know the mum, she, she, she had no personality because the father just oppressed her and put her down. It was as though he was a cruel, mean man. He was an alcoholic. Everybody knew the home. But six days before he died, he did open his heart to Jesus. Now, should he be in heaven? <laughs> I had to say, that's God's grace. Did he deserve it? No, he didn't deserve it. But it sure explained grace to me. It sure explained grace to me because in my, in my humanity, I would have judged him. I would have said, hell bound you should be. But God's economy, grace, was extended from heaven to earth and picked up a man who deserved judgment. And I believe if he was sincere in his heart, he would be in the throne of grace now in heaven. He would know the, the wonder of God's love. He would know the one and, and, and you know, you might, you, you might have grown up in a church home. You might have grown up in a place where you, you think you're pretty good. You've not really done nothing wrong, but please never underestimate the reality of grace. Every one of us needs grace, grace that extends its hand. And I don't want to labor that as much as the second point where it just talks about empowering grace. And this is the area that I believe that we need to capture hold of more than anything else. Grace that saves us, as the old scholars would say, is God's unmerited favor. We don't deserve it, but God reaches from heaven. But then Paul talks about grace Reaching into an area of our humanity that's sometimes where we feel vulnerable. I often think of Zerubbabel, the story I've read, feeling vulnerable, frustrated. Knowing that I can't do this, but God, come on, you've got to show up because I absolutely believe you've called me. It's like a Quiver church in the middle of Wellington with all the, the demonic forces and spirits of hell. And I'm not concentrating on them. It's like, I don't want you to win. Yeah, right. But grace will. Yeah, right. Grace will. Because you triumph over every negativity. Yeah, right. You triumph over everything that is sent against you. And the apostle Paul used it in this way when he was speaking, and there are other references in scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 to 10. He was an incredibly intelligent man. I think if Paul was to be qualified today, he probably would have a doctorate. So he wasn't short of a clue. He was not only was he incredibly intelligent but he was given revelation from heaven. So not only was he incredibly bright, but God entrusted to him revelation that came from heaven. And he goes on, he uses these words, he said, lest I should be exalted above my measure. By the abundance of revelation, the thorn of the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Concerning these things I pleaded, With the Lord, three times, that it might depart from me. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and and needs and persecutions and distresses. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. And there was this point in Paul of vulnerability. There's a point of vulnerability. And could I dare to say, I think that point of vulnerability is in every one of us. Some people say that Paul could have been blind. I praise God that no scholar really knows. Because otherwise we would have made a doctrine out of it. Some people say he was married. (laughs) That was the thorn. I don't know. I'm just saying what people. But praise God that no one knows. But in every single one, there's a point of vulnerability. And do you know the interesting thing is your point of vulnerability is different to mine. Paul's point of vulnerability is different to yours. That's why you can't identify it. But every one, there's a point of vulnerability. There's a point where only God's grace, not your brilliance, only God's grace will ultimately cause it to happen. Growing up as a, a young man, I would have been diagnosed today as having been dyslexic. And no doubt about it, I, I look back, and in my day they didn't have anything to diagnose it. All as they did was treat you as dumb because you couldn't work through processes that were being taught in the class. And so when it came to, I don't know how they match today, but the sixth form, finishing school year, the best thing I thought for me is to get out of the place where I'm just identified as dumb, so I left school. Now, I saw myself as being a, a, a farm boy. Growing up, I had a passion to make a lot of money. So that's how I saw myself. But the amazing thing is God didn't see me there. He saw me as a leader and a preacher. So the leader and the preacher now has to face a point of vulnerability. The vulnerability is this kid's dyslexic. But God now is calling this dyslexic boy into a place where he needs to be a learner. He has to learn. He has to apprehend. He has to, he has to put his head into areas that he didn't want to do at school. Why? Because at school, they identified you as dumb. And what it did is polarize something. that They didn't know how to handle a dyslexic. But praise God, God always put you with the right person. I married Helen, who got 95% in English for school cert. <laughs> who was highly focused on comprehension, highly skilled at spelling. (laughs) Everything I wasn't, she was. (laughs) But God put me with her. And the thing was that I, I started saying, okay, God, the call of God, that frustration, Zerubbabel, the frustration of standing on your pad, knowing what God has called you to, but not able actually to build the stones into place in your own humanity, you needed help. You needed help. And I don't say this in a bragging way, you've got to hear it, but I'm incredibly intelligent. (laughs) Because God started to teach me And I found grace taught me where the classroom couldn't. And what I found was I have a photographic memory. And my ability to see became my tool to learn. I don't need to preach with notes. I see it. I I read the Bible, and when I read it, I see it. And if I can meditate on it, I learn it. But it comes in here. And so I can go through books of the Bible. I can tell you chapter after chapter what's in it. I can't quote it word for word, but I see it. So God took my point of vulnerability. And out of his grace, he was able to come into the middle of it. And he was able to cause... My life to be built so I now could accomplish what he'd called me to do. And what we've got to see in life is God leaves a point of vulnerability in us all. That point of vulnerability should never be ignored. I just saw Alistair with you, and I, I don't know what it means, but I actually saw a shoe. And I saw the two parts of the shoe here that you were trying to put the lace in and bring it together, but God just said, pull the lace out. Because the two can't connect. There's two issues in your life you're trying to connect. And God's saying, don't try and connect them. They're better to be left loose. And as you leave them loose, there'll be something of the grace of God will come into your life. And you'll start to find a measure of His grace beginning to build. And your comprehension of what God wants will come on the other side of your obedience to the fact that God just wants them to be loose. Amen? Amen? never clue what it means pretty strange but in the middle of it God will speak into your heart and we've got to understand that there's points even in a marriage sometimes there's that point of vulnerability that people pull away from but if you're able to let God come into the middle of his grace can build you as a student at university sometimes the very thing you struggle in can be the very area that God, is wanting to build in. And what I really want to bring to to equip as Wellington, come on, it's not just in your brilliance. It's not just in your skill. Even God uses that. He uses our skill. He uses our training. He used Moses, all the training in Pharaoh's house, but he had to take him through a period where Moses himself wouldn't rely upon the ability he had learned in Pharaoh's house. He had to learn to trust God. Our Father, in the air I breathe, I just stop and I become aware of you. I let something of the essence of who you are touch my humanity. Why? Because I need you. I need you. And there are people in this room right now, God just so desires you to go to another level. But I could talk about another level, and you think you've got to try harder. But it's not in your trying to go to go. It's not in your trying. It's actually in your yielding. It's in your ability to yield and go out into the edge where you've got to trust Him. That's why trust is so powerful in Scripture. Just a girl here. The Holy Spirit just wants to touch you today. Don't know your name, but God wants to. Could I pray for you? Do you mind? Just come. Just come. Just lift your hands. Holy Spirit, right now, I just pray you'd just touch this dear girl. And even as I speak, I just sense that, God, there's something in her life that right now I just break the, the fear, the vulnerability in her heart, and I just pray that there'll be something of the impact of your grace. Just come into humanity in Jesus' name. Just touch her. May she leave this building today with such a sound, such a feeling, and I speak the word feeling. God, you love her, that you're with her, you're for her. Just touch her right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You see, grace, grace, that point, that point of vulnerability, that point where we just need God's intervention, where we need God to move. This, the next area where it talks about grace, and I just want to, I won't spend too much long time on it, but is in the area of the way God gifts you and I. And I like the scripture, it's found in Ephesians chapter 3. And so often when it talks about the gifts that God gives, gives us, they're called gifts of grace. Gifts of grace. I love the gifts of grace. I love the things that God entrusts to me. Sometimes I, I, I look, and, and I'll be honest, you might think this is arrogant, but it's not arrogant when I say it. I, I often get down from a sermon and I write my own notes. I actually, I actually speak from up here. I, I can sometimes go into, I was in Calcutta recently and I just got up, I had a sermon in front of me and I just went off into an area and I thought, man, I better write that sermon when I'm finished. Yeah. <laughs> but everybody, everybody in the room said, I right, we, we have not been in a prophetic environment like that before. And God just shifted something in the atmosphere why? But you can look back and you say, oh, well, that's a skill. No, 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 that's grace. That's the gift of grace. God takes you beyond your own uh, no, own natural ability into a realm of being supernatural. And even in your workplace, your work environment, you can be prophetic. You don't even need to say, thus saith the Lord. My oldest son, his name's Hamish, he's an architect, and one of the, I'm not sure whether I've told this here before, but I love telling it because he did a big conceptual design for a big tribe in New Zealand, and uh, the guy who, 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 who was actually commissioned him to do it came up to him uh, uh, when he was in it, and he, it was almost like, why did they employ me? And this guy turned to him and he says, you're the only one I know who can interpret our dream. What's that? Come on, what's What's that? What is it? That's that's being prophetic in your workplace. It's the ability to touch something in your spirit that goes beyond the natural into the supernatural realm. And there are people in this room. I believe you're trying to get it out of your skill. And I'm not down on school. Please study. We need intelligent, bright, clever people. I need you. <laughs> And I respect it all, but it's not in skill. It is not by your might. It's not by your power. It is by the Spirit of God. When God reaches into the point of our vulnerability and He He comes and He says, come on, I will teach you. I believe God's going to teach you, my brother. He's going to teach you. There's a season in front of you where the Holy Spirit is going to apprehend your heart and He's going to take you from where you are and it's almost like He's going to pull you. I, I feel in my spirit a drawing. He's going to draw you into a supernatural realm where you will understand who you are and what you've been created to do, but something will come alive in you. Why? Because it will put a demand of faith in your heart that will take you into a greater place. See, 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 God, god the essence of who God is, the power of his presence. Can I have the person playing the keyboard if you wouldn't mind coming, please? But it just says in, in Ephesians chapter 3, I love the scripture. I reckon if only more preachers would understand it, they wouldn't be so hierarchical. This is of which I became a minister. Do you know what a minister is? A servant. It's not, the, not the power over. Paul always saw himself as a person to serve. That's why I, I, I passionately love the name we call our church. I passionately love it. Why? Because the essence of it, we're here to equip people for life. We're here to serve, to bring the best out of humanity. That's that's the essence. That's what it's all about. It's about bringing the younger generation, the kids. How can we serve them to become something God's created? How can we take all these teenagers that Jordan's been telling the statistic of? Not just another number in church. But we're here passionately to bring the best out of them. To serve, to equip. That's why we need you in church. That's why church needs people. Some people say, oh, the church in Auckland is just full of young people. I say, we need you. We need you. We need you right now. We need fathers, mothers, the people who will be just good sisters, brothers, people who will come in and serve other people's humanity rather than just trying to usurp over and lord it over people. Come under people. Come under people. Serve. Come, we've been made to serve Paul as a minister, servant. According to the gift of grace given to me by the effective working of his power. Paul was saying, according to this gift, this grace. When you when, when God gives you a gift, you don't have to try. It just happens. It just happens. Why? Because it's a gift of grace. I'm not a bad counselor, but I hate it. I'll be honest, I hate it. I think sometimes people would rather I don't counsel because they either go out laughing or crying. (laughs) And it's normally after about three or four minutes. (laughs) Ah, No, I can do it, but it's not my grace. I know I sat next to Jordan in a coffee shop in London and messed up his life (laughs) I know where my grace works I don't have to try and make it happen it just works sometimes we're trying to be someone we're not but when the grace of God works in your life it's effortless the why bell would one day stand when the capstone came into place and he would shout, grace, grace to it. Why? Because he acknowledged that, wow, this was definitely a work of your spirit. This is a work of your grace. And everyone in this room, God is gifted with gifts of grace. We have ability, we have skill, but he's given you a sweet spot. And that sweet spot is when your life is like, like you wake up in the morning and, and I'm getting older, but I love what I do. I just love what I do. I don't like the flying, another airport, another plane, but I love what I do. I get out of bed in the morning and I think, God, what an amazing opportunity that you've given gifts of grace that I can actually be a channel of your blessings. The ability to do something in your life which is supernatural. Jordan was talking of a young preacher that he heard this week. And, you know, it's just grace. Some people will think, oh, I'll try and be like that. You can't be unless you've got grace. It doesn't work. Some people who try to be preachers, they just need to sit out. You can't try. It's grace. That's when God shifts. things. What I want to finish with is just one more, and I call it keeping grace. How many like to be kept? Every, Every one of us in our humanity have got weakness, and I'm not standing here to say, I don't, you don't, we all do. We have points of vulnerability. Not vulnerability in the area of weakness, but in the area even in our humanity. The old devil's very subtle. He'll try and trip us up in so many different areas of life. He'll try and pull our mind into places that we shouldn't go. There's an amazing scripture, and I I, I just want to touch it today, and something that could be developed further, but it just says in Titus chapter 2, verse 11, for the grace of God that brings salvation, it's talking about the grace of God that brings life to us, has appeared to all men, And it goes on and it says, this grace teaches you to deny ungodliness and worldly lust, that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. Pretty powerful scripture. What keeps you? What keeps you? Come on, what keeps you? Grace. It's when you acknowledge grace in you. Keeps you from doing dumb things. I had three boys and my best best talk. I I gave them the facts of life. But then when they became teenagers, this was my simple instruction to them. I just said, I'm not going to tell you who you hold hands with. I can tell you who you kiss. But when you get in a car... And all the chemistry starts moving. Just remember Jesus is there. (laughs) That's all I'm going to tell you. Just remember Jesus is there. Everybody understands that, don't we? Just remember Jesus is there. You can't hide. But what keeps you at that moment is God's grace. It's the ability to stand and keep yourself godly doesn't mean to say you don't have chemistry. But God's grace keeps you. Why? Because you want to walk a life that represents Him. It keeps you. Now, the interesting thing in life is the Bible goes on and it says it like this, and I want you to catch my thoughts. It just says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7, submit yourself to God, resist the devil, Likewise, young men, submit yourself to your elders. Yes, all you who are submissive, be submissive to one another. And be clothed, and he uses the word, be clothed with humility. For God resists the, come on, God resists the, but gives grace to the humble. So does, can we take grace for granted? I don't think we can. Grace only comes to a person who's actually got a humility of heart. It actually says, I, I actually do need you, Jesus. I do need you. I, I need your help. You might be sitting here and saying, oh, that's just a pack of waffle, mate. Well, probably you might be on the pride side. <laughs> you are definitely won't get grace. And I'm not saying that to condemn you. I'm just being honest, frank. Humility says I do need you. Humility actually puts yourself in a position where you say, No, no, I need grace to live my life. I need grace. I, I, grace has saved me. Grace now helps me in my point of vulnerability. Grace even gives me gifts. Grace keeps me. But some people pray a dumb prayer. And they pray this prayer. They say, Oh, Jesus, please help me to be humble. That is the. That's a waffle prayer. God will not help you to be humble or make you humble. Do you know what the Bible says? Humble yourself. It is a direct act where you bow your knee before God and say, God, without you, I can't do it. I need you. I need you. So when you face a wall, it's the ability to get out on your knee and say, God, without you right now, I I can't weather this. I can't get through it. I need you. I need you. I need your grace. Simply like saying, our Father, in the air I breathe, I just stop. And I humble myself and think, I think of your love I think of your mercy I think of your grace right now I need you I need you I I need you at that point my vulnerability when you go on and you look at it and I don't know where I ever read it from but it's not my original but I love it and I can't give credit to anyone even though it was someone else's words but I keep saying Humility does not think less of oneself, but just simply thinks of oneself less. Humility doesn't think less. Why? Because we're created in the image of God. Humility doesn't go around and say, oh, I'm just a little weed. That rises. It's got a sense of self-worth about it. But you're not in the picture. Jesus is in. It's about exalting Him. It's about lifting Him up through your life. It's about demonstrating His power. Every time I see a young man or a young woman starting to prosper and achieve, I sit back and say, God, that's what it's about. That's what it's about. Another salvation. Another life changed. It's about simply getting yourself out of the picture and putting Jesus in the picture. Remember, there's a point in I was in Auckland and I remember I'd been preaching and one month went by. I think it was actually over a month where I got no affirmation from anybody. No one spoke. No one came up to me and said, wow, well, you're doing well. But I, at that time I, I, I knew I was actually probably ministering the best I'd ever and normally my wife, she's such an encourager, 90% of the time, she affirms 10%, she just says the right thing. <laughs> and I, I reckon some guys just need to hear the right thing now and again, amen, but she could be the right thing, and she, I always know it would be, be true, because 90% of the time, she'd affirm. Nothing, not, she didn't even say anything. And one day I, I, I just went to God, I just stood before Jesus, and I said, come on, is what, what's happening. And myself, I really feel that I, I'm doing the best. And he, he just said these words, I, I still remember, I can still actually heal it, and I know the feeling inside me, what I felt. He just said this, he said, Bruce, I've shut everybody's mouth that your affirmation wouldn't come from people, but come from me. It was the best thing God could have ever done for me. Because he took away the affirmation of man and He made me aware of the affirmation of heaven in my own heart. So often, you know, we do because we want the affirmation of people. And I think there are times where we need that. But there are times where we just need to know that God loves us. God's for us and He affirms us. And I know this sermon today is a message or whatever sound you hear in your heart. It's got a prophetic touch to it, and I believe it's so true for Quipper's Wellington. Why? Because it's not our brilliance, it's not our great programs, even though we've got to be structured in programs. And I love e-groups, and I love e-teams, and I love everything we do and everything we stand for. But in the end, it's no program will build a church. Do you know? I love, and, and, and I, I, I've got to, I've got to, I've got to say it like this because it's true. I love our music. I go into Auckland on a Sunday night and they have the high definition screens and all the wow and everything. Wow, wow, you know. And I love it. It doesn't save people. Have all the programs, all the trimmings, everything, but doesn't save people. And, and I'm not pushing it aside because I, I, think, I think a modern generation needs to come into a church that speaks their language speaks their language. They're attracted to it. But it doesn't save people. And it doesn't keep people. What keeps people is grace. It's what puts the, the block. And I want you to see that pile again. It might be in your life. It might be in your home. It might be in your family. You've got people who are disconnected with Jesus. And today, you just really want to see them come home. But it's like, How are we going to do it? It's not not your judgment. It's not your pointing of the finger. It's not trying to push the gospel down their throat. Simply just saying, come on. God, you've got to somehow teach me with your grace that I might be able to reach into people's lives and make a difference. And I know the presence of God is here. The anointing of God is in this room so powerful and he wants to make adjustments in people's lives. I don't mind. You stay seated, you guys. Just stay seated. I'm better for me to minister. Just come up and play at the end. I just, I, it just comes into my spirit. I, so I'll just share it because I, I don't mind bringing myself into if I can help you. In my family, I have a nickname. Jordan probably knows why I have that nickname because he's seen it in operation I'm affectionately known as Bolter why because I'm gone why everybody's getting ready I'm out of here. Now, in one way, it can be horribly annoying. Because Helen will say, where's Bruce? Oh, he's waiting in the car. (laughs) But do you know on the other side, Got to look at us in your personality, there are sometimes things that can be annoying, but if you let God they can actually be your lifeline, amen. They can be your lifeline. So I love being called Balter because it protects me at important times. Sometimes Helen says to me, slow down and just walk with me. You don't have to be in front. You don't have to cross the lights while they're on the in-between. Just slow down. Incredibly annoying. (laughs) You don't have to be the first out of the airport. (laughs) Incredibly annoying. But then in other places, that grace, as I've allowed God to minister into it, because your personality is unique. Amen? Do you hear me? Sometimes we try and destroy the very uniqueness of who we are. And I don't want that. I love people's uniqueness. Never underestimate, Jono, what God's placing on your life. Just then. Never underestimate. And, and, and I, I don't, I, the message of us to put it into plain terms, don't get into it. And get into a box of what I should think you should be, Jordan, even your dad or your mum. God right now is scripting something in your heart, and it's unique. It's going to have a unique sound, unique rhythm. It doesn't mean you don't learn from others. You don't yield. You don't let people speak into your life. It's just part of life. But the sound that God wants to bring through your life, not going to come by living in a box and the expectation of others. It's going to come out of the uniqueness of your ability to listen to your own heart and hear what God's placed in it. And right now as I lay hands on you, I release the anointing of God. I release your Holy Spirit. Amen. Stand with me, everybody. Just stand. Our Father, the air I breathe I just take a moment and I stop and I become aware of you right now just consciously become aware of Jesus just become aware just become aware just become aware of his presence become aware anointing I become aware of you I become aware of you you see the Holy Spirit always brings Jesus to our mind because that's the person he loves to glorify he draws us closer and in the name of Jesus I now speak into the corporate life of Equivers Church in Wellington. And today, in the name of Jesus, I declare that the grace of God is going to help to build those stones to In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name. I want to do something today, and and I'm doing it quite deliberately. I want to bring an old-fashioned, an old-school, an Old Testament blessing over you. How many are ready? I just want you to If you could just lift your hands because this is going to do something. It's it's like I'm doing it prophetically. And do it prophetically. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his. upon you and be gracious towards you. And may he lift up his countenance upon you and give